Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. several weeks, our focus has been on the police investigation into Damien Eccles. We've identified how Damien came to be a suspect within hours of the discovery of the bodies of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. We've broken down in painful detail Damien's interviews with investigators. We've examined his alibi for the night of the murders, and in my opinion, have confirmed his exact location at 7 p.m. on May 5, 1993. In those two episodes, our focus was on where Damien was during the attacks and more to the point, where he was not. To this point, we have addressed all of the witness statements that claim to have seen Damien Eccles within a mile of the crime scene on the night of the murders. That list consists solely of anywhere from four to six members of the Hollingsworth family and possibly little Ricky's girlfriend. As you're all very well aware, the Hollingsworth story is riddled with inconsistencies and problems. At best, if they are to be believed... That would prove that Damien was walking a quarter mile away from the crime scene along with his girlfriend three hours after the boys went missing. Although in order to believe the story, we have to assume that Holly George, Jennifer Bearden, and Ken Watkins were all lying. All things considered, to date the case for Damien's guilt is thin at best. Aside from his alibi, no one saw or claims to have seen Damien anywhere near Robin Hood Hills at the time when the boys went missing. Well, almost no one. There is one person who claims to have actually witnessed and participated in the murders of Michael, Christopher, and Stevie. Jesse Lloyd Miss Kelly Jr. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Brook Linen. You spend a third of your life in your sheets, and they make a difference with how you sleep. Start getting better sleep today with the best sheets ever. Brook Linen sheets really have made a difference in me getting a full night's sleep every night. I've been sleeping on them for over a year, and one of the most amazing parts about Brook Linen sheets is that after over 50 washes, they still look and feel brand new. Brooklyn and Sheets upgraded my nightly routine and they helped me feel more well-rested every day. Brooklyn was founded in April 2014 by a husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich. Their philosophy? The most beautiful, comfortable home essentials with no crazy prices, markups, or fees. Most bedding is marked up as much as 
Footbrook Linen cuts out the middleman to keep their prices low and keep the quality high. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You have to try these sheets today. My Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. And Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. They're going to give you $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code ROUGH at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. And remember, the only way to get that $20 off and free shipping is to use our promo code ROUGH at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and use our promo code ROUGH. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. This week, we're going to begin with exploring the relationship between Jesse Ms. Kelly and his co-defendants, Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin. A common belief is that the trio were, in fact, best friends. Damian, however, told quite a different story about his relationship with Jesse on this show in episode 513. Were, were you friends with Jesse Ms. Kelly or ever hang out with him? I wouldn't really call him friends just because we, we didn't really have anything in common. We didn't, you know, hang out. You know, like I'm not, I'm not, he's not hanging out over at my house every day or anything. If I passed him on the street, you know, if he was in our trailer park or, or whatever, I might stop and, you know, exchange a couple words with him or something. Or there used to be a store right at the front of the trailer park where we lived. And if you went into the back of the store, there were like pool tables, video games, stuff like that. So sometimes, you know, you don't have anything else to do. You go in there to shoot a, play, a game of pool. Jesse Miskelly's in there. You talk to him for a few minutes, but it's not like we were, you know, hanging out and, going to parties together or, or, or anything else. You know, it's not even like there's any, you know, you're talking about someone with an IQ of what was it? 70, 72. So it's not like there's even any in-depth conversations or anything going on. It was just Jason Baldwin was my best friend. Uh, he was pretty much the only person I ever spent any significant amount of time with around that time period, uh, other than like family members or what have you. Uh, Jesse Miskelly. He was an acquaintance. I wouldn't even really call him a friend. He was just somebody that I knew who was and sort of was on the periphery of my life. While preparing for this episode, I asked listener Fred Walsh if he would mind breaking down his research on the subject for our review. The majority of the information that you're about to hear came from Fred's post on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. I want to offer a sincere thank you to Fred for putting in the time and effort to create probably the most detailed and linear look at the relationship that I've ever seen. Fred and I do tend to disagree on most things related to the case, but with that being said, he has been studying this case for a very long time and possesses a wealth of knowledge, and his efforts are greatly appreciated. These are the facts concerning the West Memphis Three's relationships as Fred has laid them out. Damien has always maintained that he and Jason Baldwin were best friends, but he didn't care much for Jesse. He was quoted in the book The Blood of Innocence as saying, quote, Two things that I don't have time for is stupidity and ugliness, and Jesse Miss Kelly had both of those qualities, end quote. In his own books, Almost Home and Life After Death, he wrote more about Jesse. From the book, 
I never did see Jesse a great deal, but we became familiar enough with each other to talk when we met. Jason and I would run into him at the bowling alley and spend an hour or two playing pool or hang out for a little while at the Lakeshore store. Jesse was no great conversationalist, but his antics could be amusing, and the odd things he did say were usually worth a chuckle. It was very apparent to anyone of even average intelligence that you weren't dealing with the world's brightest guy. He was a great deal like a child. He was harmless. End quote. As you can see, his opinion of Jesse seems to have softened a bit over the years, although he still doesn't seem to consider him a friend. In John Douglas's book, Law and Disorder, he relayed what Eccles told him regarding his relationship to Jesse. Here he's talking about an incident where Jesse introduced him to a woman named Vicki Hutchison, who we'll be discussing in the second segment of today's episode. From the pages of Law and Disorder, quote, Damien later told us, I knew who Miss Kelly was, I'd seen him. It was one of those situations where I was like, I don't even really know this kid. I have no idea who this woman, Vicki Hutchison, is. What the hell is going on? End quote. There were a few members of the community who had a different view on the relationships, although these statements all came in after the arrest of the three were publicized. Jesse's boss at the garage where he worked interviewed with reporters from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the Commercial Appeal two days after the arrest. He told the Gazette, quote, They were all three friends, and I think Jesse Jr. was the sort to be easily persuaded. End quote. And in the commercial appeal, he was quoted as saying, Miss Kelly and the other two murder suspects rode bicycles a lot around Marion in West Memphis. End quote. I did find that last statement interesting only because it's the first report I've read about Damien riding bikes. Most people that describe him talk about him always walking around town although obviously not everyone in West Memphis and Marion weighed in on the subject. We then move on to Miss Kelly's friend, David Perfetti. David told Detective Ridge a story about a night at the roller rink that occurred a few weeks after the murders. The interview took place in January of 1994, about eight months later. Perfetti told Ridge, quote, I can remember I'd seen him at the skating rink in West Memphis with Jason and Damien. Jesse did come in with them, but when he noticed some other people that he knew, he left the other two so he could be with his other friends. Even though Damien and Jason were acting a little strange that night, I thought Jesse was calm and he didn't show any signs of being scared or anything, but I can't be sure that he wasn't. End quote. Then Damien's friend Jason Crosby contradicted this statement when he interviewed with prosecutor John Fogelman. From the transcript, Fogelman. Okay, before the arrest, when was the last time you seen him? Crosby. Uh, it had been at the skating rink, I guess, about two after the killing, maybe week, two weeks after the killings. It was at an all-night skating at Skate World. Fogelman. Who all was there? Crosby. Uh, Damien and Jesse showed up together, and a little while later, Jesse showed up, and those two were there, and they were with him and some girl. I don't know who her name was. Both teenagers do recall Jesse, Damien, and Jason all being at the skating rink that night. However, it does not appear that they were really hanging out together. There is a YouTube video of the roller rink on what I believe is this night, where you can get a glimpse of both Jesse and Damien, albeit briefly. The video is titled Skating Rink Police Surveillance Video, although if you take the time to watch it, you'll likely draw the same conclusions that I did. Number one, Damien and Jesse are never seen together or even in the same frame. And number two, this sure doesn't look like police surveillance. 
It's more like someone's dad playing with his new video camera. Damien's girlfriend, Dominique Tier recalled what seems to be the incident when Jesse introduced Damien to Vicki Hutchison in a September interview with John Fogelman. Quote, Jesse came around after them kids was killed. The boy shows up a week after, out of nowhere. I mean, we hadn't seen Jesse for months. Jesse came over to Jason's house one day while I was sitting there and wanting Damien to take Blockbuster movies to Blockbuster. And they went, and I guess took movies back, and then wound up over at Jesse's house. End quote. She also told Fogelman that she recalls a couple of times when Jesse would stop by Damien's dad's house while he was living with him in 1992. From the transcript, Fogelman, and, and then Jesse was around quite a bit then? Dominie, every once in a while, like once or twice, yeah, I saw him. Fogelman, okay, and when he was around when you saw him, what would y'all be doing? Dominie, sitting at Damien's house. She then went on to describe the incidents in further detail. Quote, The first time we had come up the street and he was messing around with Matt, and we thought somebody was getting beat up because they were all screaming and hollering out there. And when we walked out, there was Jesse. That was the first time I'd ever seen him since I'd been to school that year. And the second time I seen him, they come over there and me and Damien was together, and they had just come knocking on the door with him and BJ, some big fat kid that runs around with Jesse. End quote. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Next, we have Jerry Driver's testimony from trial. Did you have an occasion on that time to be in Lakeshore Trailer Park? Yes, I did. And what were the circumstances, general circumstances, under which you were there? I was out there on a normal uh, drive-through and uh, happened to stop uh, with a, a car that we suspected of having a drunk driver. While we were out at that car, we saw uh, three gentlemen walk by. All right. Who who were they? Damien Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin. And how were they dressed? In black with long coats. And uh, did they have anything in their hands? Long sticks or staffs. In episode 513, Damien rebutted this claim, stating that on that evening he wasn't walking with Jesse Miss Kelly, but rather with Jason Baldwin and Jason Crosby. Next, we'll move on to John Persky. John's encounter with Damien, Jason, and Jesse gets a little bit convoluted because it doesn't come to the West Memphis PD from John himself. The first report that we see on the incident is a report written by Bill Durham on September 6, wherein he reports that Marion Police Chief Don Bray told him that, quote, John Earl Persky Jr. had been beaten and threatened by Jesse Miss Kelly, Jason Baldwin, Damien Eccles, and Buddy Lucas. 
This incident is believed to have happened in January of 1992. Don Bray further advised that this incident was witnessed by Renee Flesher, Jessica Marotti, Joe Marotti, and Adam Phillips. End quote. So in Bray's version of events, the four teens ganged up and beat up Persky. And according to Durham's report, he himself then went and interviewed John. From the report, quote, he, John, said that in January or February 1992, he was near the railroad tracks located northwest of Lakeshore. He said that Jesse Miss Kelly put a knife to his throat and threatened to kill him. Miss Kelly also hit him at least once. He said he was hit several times but did not know who all had hit him. He did say that Adam Phillips and Blaine Hodges were not present during this incident and that he told Don Bray that these two subjects knew Damian Eccles. No report of this incident could be found at the Crittenden County Sheriff's Department, and the victim and his father were unsure if they notified the Sheriff's Department or not. End quote. So this is interesting. As far as an answer to our original question, this is a reported sighting of the three defendants together, although John makes no mention of Damien or Jason in the report. Durham notes that Don Bray informed him that they were involved. Don Bray is going to become more important as we move along, so take note of this. What we have so far is that evidently a fight occurred where Jesse Miss Kelly hits John and threatens him with a knife. That's from the victim himself. Then we have Marion Police Chief Don Bray telling Durham that Jason and Damien were involved in the attack. Reading into this a little further, we see that there is no police report for this incident and the victim and his father don't recall if they ever even called the police. So the question then becomes, how did any of this come about to begin with? If there's no report and the victim isn't even sure he called the police at all, how did Don Bray know about it? Durham then interviews Renee Flesher, one of the witnesses named by Bray about the incident. This is from her statement. Quote, About a year ago, 92, in January or February, I was with Jessica Moretti. And John Persky had been messing with her, and she went over where Jesse was and told him what John was doing and where he was. And Jesse already wanted to beat John up. So we all went out there, me, Jessica, Jesse, Damien, Jason, and Buddy, and they found him. Well, Jesse had a knife, and he pulled it out and threatened to cut John's throat, and John was telling him no. Me, Jesse, Jessica, and Buddy were all down by a ditch, and Damien and Jason were on the bridge. When Jesse started punching John in the stomach, John was sitting there crying, so I told Jessica to tell Jesse to stop because I knew he wouldn't listen to me, and him and Jessica are kind of close, so he stopped, and we all walked away, and John couldn't breathe and was coughing up blood. Me and Jessica went with John to his house, and everyone else was laughing and walked off. So now in Renee's version, she says that it was only her and her friend Jessica who were together originally. John had been, quote, messing with Jessica, so they went and told Jesse about it. Jason and Damien's involvement is simply that of observers from a nearby bridge. In Renee's statement, Damien and Jason are never actually with Jesse, or with her for that matter, other than a part of the crowd that walked towards the scene of the fight. In fact, she names the people that were actually down by the ditch where the fight occurred. Herself, Jesse, Jessica, and Buddy Lucas. Damien and Jason were away from them up on a bridge. To sum the situation up, Jesse was hanging out in Jason and Damien's trailer park. There was a fight, Jason and Damien followed the crowd to watch the fight, and we can't even definitively say that the three ever even exchanged words. 
More interesting to me is when we back this account all the way back to the beginning, it started with Marion Police Chief Don Bray reporting the following to Detective Durham. Quote, John Earl Pesky Jr. had been beaten and threatened by Jesse Miss Kelly, Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles, and Buddy Lucas. End quote. After reviewing both witness statements, it appears that Bray completely misrepresented the facts of Durham. And even more troubling than that is the fact that there was never actually even a report to trigger the call from Bray to Durham. There are a few statements from Jesse during his confessions that, of course, bind the three teens together. But we'll address those when we assess the credibility of all of his statements. For now, let's move on to Damien's ex-girlfriend, Deanna Holcomb. At trial, Deanna was asked by Fogelman on the stand who Damien's friends were. She responded, quote, Jason, um, Jesse, Joey Lancaster, and some other people. Jason Baldwin's mom, Gail, at an appeal hearing in 2009, said the following. Jason, Damien, and Jesse were not all friends. At one point, they had been friends, but at some point, there had been some problem with t-shirts, and then Jesse had tried to steal a necklace of Jason's. In May of 1993, Jesse was not one of Jason's friends. He did not come by to our house, except once, right before the murders, he came to our house and said he had just come back from California. End quote. The incident with the necklace was also referenced by Jennifer Bearden. She is one of the girls who was allegedly on the phone with Damien on the night of the murders. Here's Jennifer in her police interview in September of 1993. Quote, Everybody says they, the three, were friends, but they were not friends. Because I let Jason have one of my necklaces, and Jesse stole it from them. And Damien and Jason did not like him for that reason. And because Jesse really had a bad attitude. He thought he could beat everybody up. End quote. Jennifer goes on to describe an incident where Jesse had stolen a pool ball from the skating rink. Quote, Jesse had stolen eight ball from Skate World. He was walking around with it. They thought Damien had stole it, but it was really Jesse, because Jesse walked up to me and he had it. But they thought it was Damien, and so they didn't like him because of that, and because he had a bad attitude and a bad mouth. End quote. Jennifer's friend Holly George, who also spoke with Damien on the phone on May 5th, discussed the relationship between the three boys in her interview with Detective Ridge in September. Ridge. Okay, uh, did any of them, Jesse or Jason or Damien, ever get into an argument with anybody when you were around? Holly. While I was around, no. Ridge. Okay, and what were they, just had their own little group over here and Jesse was in another group, was that it? Holly. They hung out with the same people, but they never really liked Jesse. Ridge. Okay, alright. Was there any kind of argument going on or was it just like, was part of the same group? Holly. I don't think they were part of the same group. Lastly, we have Jason Baldwin's own words while interviewing on Juvenile Justice Matters. In the 2012 interview, Baldwin said, quote, Somehow or another, they made the decision to set me and my two best friends up for the crime. Although in the context of all of their evidence, this would appear to be a bit of a misrepresentation of the relationship. In my opinion, it does not appear as though Damien, Jason, and Jesse were close friends, if friends at all. It would seem that given the proximity of their homes, their paths cross, and they seem to have no ill will toward one another. 
Given all the statements, my take is that Damien summed the relationship up pretty well in episode 513 when he said that they were acquaintances. They would chat if they were in the same place, but they were not friends. Of course, that's just my opinion, and you're welcome to draw your own conclusions. And I do also again want to thank Fred Walsh for doing all of the legwork on this issue and sourcing all the information that we just discussed. After looking deeply into the relationship between the so-called West Memphis Three, it doesn't appear, to me at least, that the three ever really spent any time together. So the question becomes, how did they get linked together and implicated in the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher? Right after the break. On the afternoon of May 6, 1993, a woman named Vicki Hutchison went into the Marion Police Station to be interviewed about credit card fraud charges. She was being interviewed by none other than Police Chief Don Bray, who I mentioned earlier. Vicki's story is very convoluted and very complex when we really dig into the weeds. So we're going to begin our look into Vicki Hutchison, who is the link between Jesse Miss Kelly and Damian Eccles, by letting you hear, in her own words, how she came to be involved in the case. Although Vicki did not testify in the Eccles-Baldwin trial, she did testify in Jesse Miss Kelly's. Here's Vicki explaining what transpired following her meeting with Don Bray. You need to stand up and raise your right hand, please. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, the matter now pending before the court. So I have you gone. All right, be seated. Would you state your name and where you lived in May of 1993? My name is Victoria Hutchison, and at that time I lived in Holland Park in a trailer there. Now, where did you live before you moved to Highland Park? I lived at 1502 East Parton in West Memphis. And um, do you have children? Yes, I do. I have two boys. All right. And how old are they? I have one that just turned 11 and one that's 8. Okay. And um, your 8-year-old... Was he acquainted with uh, Michael or Stevie or Chris? Yes, he was um, really, really good friends with Chris and Mike and um, Stevie, and he ran together, but Stevie more or less ran with my older boy. All right. Did they uh, go to the same school? Stephen and um, Aaron and Christopher were all in the same class together. Okay. And Aaron is your eight-year-old? My eight-year-old, yes. <laughs> now, when did you move to Highland Park in relation to uh, the murders? Um, approximately. Approximately April, the like second week of April. All right. Now, after you moved to the Highland Park area, did you become acquainted with the defendant? Yes, I did. And how did you become acquainted with him? Um, Jesse and I became really close friends. Okay. All right, now, after the murders, did uh, 
Were you also friends with uh, the families of any of the uh, victims? Well, Todd Moore, who is the the leader over the Cub Scouts, both of my boys um, were in the Cub Scout okay. troop. And you were acquainted with With the, Todd. <laughs> all right. Now, at some point after the murders, did... Um, did you decide that you wanted to play detective? I thought I would play detective. Okay. And in the course of that, and without saying what you'd heard, had you heard some things uh, about uh, a Damien Eccles? I had heard a lot of things about Damien Eccles. All right. And... What did you do to, to try to, to learn more about this person? I had um, Jesse, Miss Kelly Jr. introduce us. All right. Um, are you referring to the defendant? Yes. Okay. And uh, after he introduced you to Damien, did you do any particular things to try to gain Damien's confidence? I had went to the um, library, um, Don Bray, the police at Marion, okay. had given me his card to check out some satanic books because they can't be checked out just by normal people. All right. Did, um, you said Don Bray of the Marion Police Marian Department? Marion Police Department. All right. At this time, was the West Memphis Police Department aware of what you were doing West that you Mem- know of? West Memphis knew nothing. All right. Now, after these books were obtained, uh, what did you do with them? <coughs> well, I just, like, spread them out on my coffee table like it was everyday reading. All right. For, for what purpose? Well, to... If he was into witchcraft... If who? Damien. Okay. If Damien were into witchcraft, naturally he's going to be curious why I have all this stuff, okay. I thought. At some point, did did Damien invite you to go some to some uh, meeting? He did. Um, <coughs> on a Wednesday night. An S-bat. S-bat. Is that E-S-B-A-T? Uh-huh. All right. And uh, did you learn what that... I had to look it up, um, but it was in one of the witch books, and it's a occult satanic meeting. Okay. And <coughs> did you go with him to this? Yes. Who went with you? Jesse. All right. And uh, what did y'all go in? What vehicle? A... Um, Red Escort. Who was driving? Damien. All right. And a, uh, about how many people were there? Um, approximately. Approximately, Mr. Fogelman, at a distance, I would say 10, 12, even 15. All right. Now, after a period of time, uh, as things developed, did you ask to leave? I did. All right. And uh, when you asked to leave, did somebody take you home? Yes, he uh, did. Who was that? Mr. Eccles. All right. And what did the defendant do? Um, stayed. Okay. <clears throat> now, are you familiar with uh, or, or aware of this 
tape that's been played in court with the voice? Yes, says, sir, I am. All right. Do you know who that voice is? That's my child. All right. <coughs> was the defendant acquainted with, with your child? Yes, he was. All right. Had the defendant spent time at where you were living? Jesse and I, I thought, were very close uh-huh. and good friends. And so Dean did spend quite a bit of time with us. <clears throat> at the time that uh, you asked uh, the defendant to introduce you to Damien, uh, did, did you have any reason to believe that he was involved in the murders? Never. Okay. I don't have any further questions. Miss Hutchison, you say that you asked Jesse to introduce you to Damien, is that correct? Yes, sir. Did he tell you that he knew him? He had told me on several occasions that he knew him. He knew who he was from school? He was a friend of his. Okay. Um, why did Don Bray, the officer from the Marion Police Department, give you his library card? Let me ask you. Let me ask you this way: How did you come into contact with Mr. Bray? Through a Delta situation, which um, I'm not going to elaborate on. But um, well, I want you to elaborate on it. Why did you? Oh, go would see you Don like Bray? for me to elaborate on it? Yes, okay. ma'am. Well, there was a credit card mess up, and um, I was working during the time that this happened, and another boy, and. Uh, it was a $200 transaction that had been done without, I, I can't, I don't really know the particulars of the credit card, but anyway, there was an investigation. All charges were dropped. So why did you go see Don Bray the, the, that day? For that. Okay. Did you go for a specific reason to take a test or anything? I did take a lie detector test, yes. And that was conducted? The lie detector test was conducted? Yes, sir. Okay. And all charges were dropped, you say? Uh, I have the um, the file. Okay. Have you ever been convicted of writing hot checks in this state? Yes, in Arkansas I have. Mr. Fogelman asked you if you some point decided you want to become a detective or play detective in this case? Mr. Fogelman? Mm-hmm. I uh, had never met Mr. Fogelman until like a month or about two months ago. Well, you testified that you decided you were going to play detective in this case? I decided that on my own. Those boys I loved and I wanted their killers caught. Did that $30,000 reward have anything to do with no, your decision? No, it had nothing to do with it. Have you ever told anybody that uh, you were going to get that reward? Not to my knowledge, no. Mr. Fogelman asked you if you thought that Jesse had anything to do with this at the the time you went to this so-called meeting. No one mentioned Jesse Miss Kelly's name to me whatsoever until he was arrested on TV. Okay. Fact is, he spent the night with you uh, the night before he was arrested. Exactly, to protect me. To protect you from a prowler? From a prowler. 
nothing further. <coughs> this Delta situation, were you ever charged? No, I was not. Okay. The, uh, in fact, the day that you were in Mr. Bray's office, is that the day? Which day was that in relation to when the boys? The boys were still missing at the time I was sitting in his office. And he asked me, I was obviously upset, and he asked me why I was uh-huh. upset. So and it was the day the boys were the found? Day, yes, they were found Thursday. And it was that same day? Yes. While Victoria Hutchison's trial testimony may raise a few eyebrows, the events that occurred with her and her son Aaron prior to the trials will make your head spin. Next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. And Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com designed and created our Season 5 logo. A special thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the -the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Rupp, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.